Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 399 of the Juicebox podcast. This episode of the show is actually the 10th in the After Dark series. If you've been listening to the After Dark series, we've talked so far about type 1 diabetes and drinking, weed smoking, trauma, addiction, sex from both a female and male perspective, depression and self-harm, divorce and co-parenting, bipolar disorder, bulimia, and today... We're going to be talking about heroin addiction. You can find all of the episodes of the show, as well as those other After Dark episodes, in your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Please remember as you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. So this episode is with Neva. She's going to do an incredible job of explaining her addiction to you, how it began, how it progressed, how she's tried to fight it, and during it, how she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She has, in fact, the most unique diagnosis story that's ever been on the show. The Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, Touched by Type1.org, and Gvoke Glucagon. Today's show is sponsored by Touched by Type1, Omnipod, and Dexcom, and I'll be telling you about them later in the show. For now, to get a free no-obligation demo of the Omnipod, just go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. To check out my favorite diabetes organization, touchedbytype1.org. And of course, you can learn all about the Dexcom G6 at dexcom.com forward slash juice box. My name's Neva and I live in Colorado. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, Neva? It's hard it to like, describe yourself, to isn't describe it? Myself. Yeah, so I'm 28 years old. I'll be 29 in December. And I am a type 1 diabetic, and I am also a recovering heroin addict. There you go. So now for everybody listening, Neva's email came. You probably were answered back in a split second, I would imagine. It was it was pretty quick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know a good story when I hear one. So I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I often say that too. Like, I feel like my life should be a movie sometimes. I knew it was a good one, so I thought I... I, you would like it. I thought you would like it. By the time I got to the fourth sentence and I read Sabox and I just replied, yes, here, use this link and book <laughs> yourself a time and date that works for you. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't, right. yeah. So you're, you're doing a, an interesting and very kind thing. And I want to tell you this before we started. Well, I mean, we've started, but I want to tell you this before we really started getting talking that you are the fourth former heroin addict who's wanted to come on the show but only the first that had the nerve to go through with it. Wow, really? Yes. Yeah, so so you... I knew that like it's kind of a really niche um, persona, I guess, or I don't know what, how, what you would call it. Like, So I know there's not many of us out there, but I know they are out there. So that's why I figured, you know, if I have a story that can maybe help somebody, you know, like because I would like to hear somebody in my situation on a podcast like that, that's has diabetes and going through like addiction is addiction, but right. heroin addiction is like 
a completely different ball game. Yeah, we'll dig into it so that people can try to understand. But no, yeah, I, I um, it, it's been over the last, I'd say, two and a half to three years. Every once in a while, someone reaches out and they really want to tell the story. And then something gets in the way. Either they kind of change their mind. Sometimes it's legal issues that are still ongoing. Oh, right. There's yeah. A lot, that makes of, sense. lot of stuff that happens. The, ba- the, the behind the scenes part of this podcast is way better than the podcast. Just so you all know. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> the, some of the, uh, the conversations I get to have like very privately, I'm like, wow, I wish people could hear these. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's dig in a little bit. Um, I guess we're going to start uh, by asking what leads. So you, so you said you started with pills you said that's pretty common for kids right yeah so basically so i told you i was 28 i in high school so my addiction started when i was about 17 it was like right at the end of high school Mm -hmm. um i got involved with a guy that i really liked in high school he became my boyfriend and he used pills and what he used was i think it was like vicodin and like xanax and stuff and you know i was kind of at that age where um, or time in my life where I wanted to experiment. And I just kind of, I had the mindset like, oh, try everything once, you know? And so, and I'm just a curious person just in general. So I always want to just know what things are like, um, just have the experience behind me. And so him being involved in those and just using them made me want to try. I was like, okay, you're, you're using that. I want to use it too. Mm-hmm. And so I would try the Vicodin and it would make me sick. Um, I would throw up because I guess of the acetaminophen and the, like all the, cause I would take more than one like Vicodin. You, know, you weren't cause. using the label. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not gonna, not gonna go by the label. <laughs> you weren't like, Hmm, let's see. Billy's grandma I'm supposed to take one of these if her hip hurts. So I'll take six. Yeah, I'll, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so because the Vicodin, um, made me so sick we found other pill like he was like okay well if that one makes you sick try this one and the one that he said to try was oxycontin and oh. it was the 30 milligram and they had no tylenol in them so um they those were better those didn't make me sick and so i you know started off like using a few on the weekends and then it was a few every few days and then it was like one once a day and then it was like two every day and it just kept going on and on and on and um so yeah that was like 10 years ago and I kind of knew right away that like oh like I'm addicted to these things because I'm using them every day but I didn't like want it it wasn't enough to make me like want to stop or just because like you would, when you stop using, you know, when you're using that much and then you stop using them, you get so sick and you just do anything you can to not feel sick anymore. So I would just constantly try to keep feeling well, I guess. Yeah. Well, and so though, give me, okay, give me a, yeah, just give me a second because <laughs> we got to pace ourselves here. By the okay, way, right. we, we have an hour scheduled, but if this goes longer, that's okay. Right. Okay. Right. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Neva. So, um, <laughs> yes, you, you've just said a thousand things. I have no firsthand knowledge of, I only have, uh, just kind of a tertiary understanding of. So like, I, I remember about a dozen years ago 
that what I heard people calling hillbilly heroin was was a huge problem. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't call it by its um by its drug name until more recently, I think when uh there was some lawsuits, right? Um against like pharma yeah, companies and stuff like that. The Purdue Pharma, right. They right. they would like um put out these commercials back in like the nineties saying, Oh, it's this breakthrough pain medication. It's non-addictive. It's the best. You'll feel the best and it'll take away your pain. And so they were just prescribing them like crazy. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened is um, people would doctor shop, you know, they would get multiple different doctors and get these prescriptions for Oxycontin. And these prescriptions would um, be like for huge amounts, like, that you just like obviously nobody that is just trying to take away you know a little bit of well chronic pain is even that is they're not going to take that much pain yeah, meds you, that these doctors are prescribing. You don't need ninety pills if your shoulder just feels a exactly. little kinky. Once like I don't yes. know when I roll my shoulder around it seems to catch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nothing like that. So right. Um, let let's dig a little bit because I when you're seventeen, I mean. Can you characterize your upbringing? Because people are going to think right away, Neva, people are going to think, well, she was brought up poorly. She was always going to use drugs. Like, so I want to, I don't know that that to be true. And I want to understand what your, what your launch into life was. Like, could 14 year old you have imagined what 17 year old you would be going through? No, not in a million years. (laughs) So that's the thing with me is it's so hard to imagine that I brought myself to such a place and got myself into um, what I did because. I, growing up, I had like the best childhood I could have ever had. Um, I have an older brother and an older sister um, who are both quite a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. My brother is seven years older than me and my um, sister's nine years older than me. And we just always were around family. I remember growing up and spending holidays at my grandpa's house with all my cousins and we're just a really close, big, happy family. Like I always remember being happy. I was always happy as a kid. And um, so then I th- did it you- was Go in ahead. high school that I guess it just, I kind of wanted to, I think there was something in me that like felt like, like I, I wanted to rebel because I felt like I was, doing everything I should, you know, like I was even like in honors classes in high school and I got good grades and all that, but there was something back there, like a kind of like party animal that wanted to come out, I guess, you Mm -hmm. know, and there was like no way for me to do that, I guess, in like a, um, in your own head, just, or a, um, in a, like not go big or go home kind of way, a moderate way. I couldn't do it in a moderate way. Um, and I guess that's, I guess that's the addict part in me, you know, like, yeah. cause if I didn't have that addict gene, I could have been able to do, you know, experiment with drugs when I was younger and put it down and not. I think your omnipods are out of it. insulin. Yeah. It's, it's just, peaked. <laughs> it's um, about to expire. Hours? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be okay through this? Oh yeah. All right, cool. It's, we're good. Um, what was my question there? The Omnipod threw me off. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Were you being restricted? Did you grow up with parents that were so restrictive that were you like a were you like a horse that somebody was pulling the reins back on? Like, were you like had 
or or no do you know what i mean by that Not, like, yeah yeah I, I do know what you mean and i wouldn't say no i i wasn't but so when i was 10 um my sister so she would have been 19 at the time and we were living in colorado at the time um and she was going to um college and she was getting into some bad stuff and she got in a really bad car accident that left her um paralyzed from the waist down and so i think kind of ever since that had happened my parents kind of um sorry i'm just trying to make sure my pod stops beeping (laughs) don't worry because we've hit on something here because paralyzed (laughs) sister car accident definitely a gateway to a problem so right we're getting to it and so i think they kind of looked at me and thought like okay well we don't want her to get involved into that stuff so we kind of need to shelter her a little bit more but but also like i looked up to my sister you know so it, I always thought, okay, well, she's, and she's always been a party animal. She's always been crazy, loved being around people, loved partying, and still does to this day. <laughs> um, so I think there was something about that that made me want to experience that. Like, oh, my older sister is doing that. Yeah. So I, so then this is like stuff I've never really quite gotten to the bottom of even we're doing that now don't worry (laughs) yeah yeah like to try to figure out why you know i'm an addict and all that so so this is interesting (laughs) (laughs) all right if just as long as you feel like you're okay we'll keep going oh Uh, yeah yeah Yeah, no i'm good your parents have any addiction issues at all is it in the extended family it is so it is like uh, i can't even count the uh, many alcoholics i have on my mom's side of the family um, all my uncles and aunts drink, um, a lot, right. like not even just like social, like, well, I guess it is mostly social. Um, but my, one of my aunts really likes her wine and she drinks a lot of wine. Um, and, but then, so that's my mom's side of the family, but my dad's side of the family doesn't really have any. Well, it's so my mom's side of the family is really big and my dad's side of the family is really small. Um, But so his my dad's dad was an alcoholic and he actually died. um, I guess it was from cirrhosis or something like that when he was really young. I think he was only 50 when he passed away. I never got to meet him. Um, But other than that, there's not many addiction issues on that side. However, my dad all growing up. Um, throughout my childhood was a really big pot smoker um and there and he tried to hide it it was like a closet thing that he did but he did it a lot okay um and so there would be times when i would like walk in on him smoking or something and he'd like try to hide it and so i think it's like little little bits and pieces of like stuff like that that i got in my childhood that was kind of like well, what is this you know like it normalizes I, it and it makes you feel a little like wonderment too, right? Right, you know? right. All right. Well, you have a, you said you had like a third sibling? Um, no. No, just, just the two, two of you? Yeah, oh, just two. Okay. Bro- oh. No, no, there's three of us, oh. three of us, but they're older brother and older sister. Is the brother like wrapped in like bubble wrap somewhere? Is he just like 
trying to hold <laughs> he's like don't let any of this happen to me or, or is he well, in the same boat no, he's i would say he's an alcoholic as well okay. <laughs> he's got his um drinking issues for sure he he drinks a lot let me ask you so a question. Like, oh i'm sorry that may have nothing to do with anything but okay. any any financial trouble growing up were you, was your family pretty settled or were, was I, were things yeah hard? growing up we were all usually pretty pretty good i got pretty much almost anything i wanted growing up hmm. um we always had a I mean, we, I would say we were middle class. You know, we had a fairly nice house. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was like big or anything, but we were always like clean people. And I would say we were pretty normal for the most part. Gotcha. You know, it's funny. I think the. Um, Except for the closet stuff, you know. <laughs> trying to imagine your father trying to hide in a small room smoking weed back before vaping yeah. or anything like that. You probably were like, right. you're not hiding it in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember one time. Um, when I was really little, we went over to one of his friend's house and, um, his friend had a daughter my age too. So we were upstairs playing and, um, they were down in the living room and I came down and I sat down on the couch and I knocked over something and it spilled. And I looked down there and he like tried to, you know, pick it up real quick and everything. And it wasn't a water bottle. <laughs> so that was kind of weird, you know, it was a bong, bong or something yeah, he had. Yeah. Bong, right? Um, yeah well so the so is the boy you met the gateway or is he the excuse do you know what i mean like, i yeah and why didn't he just want to have sex like normal boys i mean come on <laughs> well we did that too <laughs> but um yeah so that is a good question like i definitely think had i not met him I don't think, or yeah, had I not met him, I don't think I would have gotten introduced into the stuff that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think that I would have gone down the path I did. Um, I think I would have experimented in the same way that I, um, you know, cause we, I had like a, a raver thing that I did and we like did ecstasy every weekend and stuff like that. But we always went back to the, the opiates. Um, so I think I would experiment like with that stuff, but I don't think it would have got as like deep and dark. Were you bored? Um, yeah. I think that is a big, a big trigger for sure is I think I was just kind of bored and wanting more or something, you know, like felt like my life was too normal or something. I don't know. I've long kind of held the idea that, when you grow up around something like this, it it does really just make it feel like, oh, everyone does this, especially mm -hmm. when you're younger and your aunt drinks and your father's smoking and like, you know, this is going on. You're just like, oh, the whole world does this. This is what we do. Yeah. And, and, and it just makes you feel like oh, I should start doing it at some point. Like, you know, if you're. I, I don't know that it would be any different if your family was just a bunch of like, you know, nose to the grindstone, like way too hard workers, 15 hours a day. If you wouldn't just grow up thinking like, yeah, it's what I do. I get up at eight mm -hmm. and I go to work and I, I work all day. It's too much. You know, no one ever dies saying they wish they went to the office too much, but I love it. You, you, like if you would just kind of be, <laughs> yeah. you know, like pushed well, into that. That is another thing about my family is they like my mom, I would say she's a workaholic for sure. Like she she's always like held down like three jobs at a time constantly working and mm -hmm. um everyone's she's got a very addicted good work to something. Ethic, so, well someone's yeah. everyone's addicted to something right exactly yeah, yeah. all right so and, I, and 
Go. I'm sorry. You you did say something about like, oh, this is what everybody does. Um, so I do it too, or whatever. And yeah. that's the weird thing about me is I've never been much of a drinker. Um, so I wonder if that's because I've always had the drugs, you know. So that's why I never really got into drinking is because I had the other vice. You were too busy. So had I, had yeah, had I not had that, maybe I would have become an alcoholic. I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you how you get drugs when you're 17, 18 years old. So from other kids, it that's how it started was um, just through friends, you know, that had it. And I don't know where they got it. Probably their parents' medicine cabinet or something. And then they would give a number like, oh, well, call this guy for this. And then that person would give a number. And then you'd kind of eventually work up to like the person that's actually like dealing the pills as their job, you know? Mm. And then, so like a few years down the line after I like was 17 and doing pills every day, you know, I was going to this drug dealer and getting pills every day. Every day. Where do you get the money? I had jobs. I growing up, um, I, well, in high school, I worked at a sandwich shop and I had that job for a while. Um, and then I got into an office job and I've always had a job. So I've always had a way to, um, did your, to fund my habit. Yeah. Did your entire existence, was your entire existence about making money to buy drugs, buying drugs, using drugs, making money? Did it just go in a circle Pretty like much. that? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And although I did it, like I, it was a closet thing for me too. It was kind of like I lived a double life. Like I would go to work, go to school, do everything I needed to do. And then I would come home, do my drugs, wake up in the morning, do my drugs, go to work, go to school, come home, do it all over again, you know? So, and I never did it like around people. It was always a thing or me, like when I did, when I was still with that guy, it was a thing we did together and then we would go about our life. And then when I finally broke it off with him, I still had this addiction so I still used, um, and it was just a thing I did privately myself. And then, You're, yeah. Anybody in your family know you were addicted? It They do now. Um, but did they then? But they, <laughs> sorry, my, my mom just peeked in the door. Did you tell her you're busy telling the whole world about your addiction? She, she knows. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, yes, they do now. Um, but for a while they, they didn't, um, like I would say growing up, um, like, or I keep saying growing, growing up, but like when I was 17, 18, 19, maybe to 20, they, I think I held it secret for a while, but Mm. then things, you know, I, I'd said I, had a job to fund my habit for a long time, but the those funds only go so far when you have such a huge addiction. Yeah. Um, so I would do things, you know, that I'm not proud of to get money. Like I would steal from my family. And so when stuff like that starts happening, then they kind of start to look a little deeper and say, well, what's going on? And Why is money so, disappearing? Right. Yeah. And then they 
were they, they would come out. It, it's funny. I, I would imagine that everybody who's listening had the same thing happen to me, to them that just happened to me when you're like, uh, you said I did things I wasn't proud of. My brain filled in what I thought you were going to say next. And I wonder, oh. <laughs> I wonder if everybody didn't think about a thousand different things like their, their right. thing in their head that would be too far, you know? Right. Um, I, when, when they started noticing like things missing, did they come to you? Yeah. And they, because I, and that is a, one thing that I have, you know, my family has always been very supportive of me, stuck by me through everything. Um, so they just always wanted to help me, you know, mm -hmm. so that even though they were angry that I stole from them, they wanted to do what they could to help me. So they, you know, they weren't, they didn't want to enable it. They wanted to, um, you know, get ahead of it and come to me, face, you know, face me and say, well, what do we need to do to fix this? Yeah. And so that just kind of started a period of trying to get clean, relapsing, trying to get clean, relapsing, trying to get clean, relapsing. Like I can't even count them many times and things I've tried. When, when you first tried, did you want to, or were you doing it because you got caught? I think I was doing it because I got caught for sure. Okay. How does, it, I don't want to glamorize this, but I do want to understand. Mm -hmm. It's just, is it addictive, like an addictive property or is Maybe my question's stupid, but I'm sitting here as a guy who's like, you know, almost 50, whose back is hurt every day for the last 30 years in some way or another. And, you mm -hmm. know, like, is it just, does it just make everything feel like you're floating on air or are you gone in so, your head? What is, what's the design, what's the outcome of using? It does, it does make your body feel really good. Like, um, people i've heard people describe it so many different ways like i know people say like oh it feels like jesus is giving you a warm hug and um yeah it does feel good i'm not going to say it doesn't feel good mm -hmm. um but there's so much other stuff that makes it feel so much worse too <laughs> but um but what i was going to um say was it it does make your body feel good but i think the appeal especially for me is what it did was it not only shut off my thoughts and my um, racing mind or whatever, but it it just made everything seem like it was good. Like it, even though I had all these debts and these problems and these issues and this huge addiction, it just makes it makes your mind say, "Well, everything's fine. The world's fine. You're fine." You know. So it, I think that was a big appeal was to keep coming back to shut off the, the thoughts. Right. Do you, um, the brain. <laughs> I, I, I don't, just for context, family background, uh, what's your lineage? Um, I am white. <laughs> I, my dad is pretty much all German and my mom is English, Polish, and Irish. Okay. Um, are you mad at the guy? Or do you go through a time um, where you're mad at him? Yeah, I, I'm... You mad at yourself? Yes. Which is it? <laughs> like, I'm mad at him because, I mean, there's more to the story than just him introducing 
drugs to me, but he was also like, he had his own issues. So he would like, um, isolate me from my family and all kinds of stuff like that. And so like, I'm mad at him for that stuff, but I, I think I am mostly mad at myself for just not being smart about it, I guess. Um, but also I think had somebody told me like, Oh, you have this addictive gene. Like if there was a way to tell like, Oh, you have this addictive gene. Maybe I wouldn't have tried it in the first place, you know, or maybe somebody would have drawn it out for me, how horrible it can get, you know, Mm -hmm. like not just, um, like the stealing from family and stuff like that, but like the withdrawals, like not having it, how painful it is to go through the withdrawals and yeah, I want to ask you about that, but I want to understand first, that's a really tough age for a girl at 17. So were you, mm-hmm. was it a self-confidence issue? Was this like, hey, this guy likes me and that felt like good or did you not have trouble with self-confidence? And So I always felt like I was pretty confident, but I think that now that you bring that up, that does make a lot of sense. Like, I think it was like, okay, this guy does this okay he'll like i want him to like me more so he'll like me more if i do the same things he does so yeah i think that is it or and like just fitting in you know like going to parties and trying to be the the cool girl or whatever you know like smoking weed or taking ecstasy and trying to act all hard and stuff and yeah neva i have to tell you i I, do you listen to the show oh yeah yeah (laughs) I I think I've heard every episode. Well, thank you. And everyone well, listening should I'm a, I'm a few weeks back behind, off of this, Neva. But, what are you saying? Yes. You listen to every episode and so should everyone else. What are you doing? Come on. All right. right? I've so, learned a lot from it. So Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm but glad. I, I'm a podcast person, so I, I listen to It works for you as, to begin with. Yeah. What, what I was going to say is that everything you said to me, I mean, I'm grateful not to have an addictive personality around this, but none mm-hmm. of it makes sense. It, it doesn't resonate with me at all. I don't want to yeah. be around a bunch of people. I don't want to go to a party. I don't give a <laughs> shit can people think about me. Like, I, I don't have any of that. If someone came up to me when I was 17 and was like, hey, I have pills, I'd be like, okay. And then that would be the end of it. You, you know, I'd be like, well, yeah. okay, I guess we're not going to talk to you anymore. And then that would, be, and I was not brought up with any. <laughs> My mom won't hear this, right? Like, I was not really <laughs> parented as, as a, like my my father and mother split when I was thirteen, and my mom went off to work full time, and I basically took care of my brothers, and mm-hmm. no one was giving me any direction. As a matter of fact, I guess if I sit here and make a list of things I've done that I shouldn't have done, there won't be drugs and alcohol in it for any reason. And the only rules I ever broke were in the pursuit of helping my family, like. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but this is an After Dark episode, and I think the years have passed by where it won't matter anymore. I have been a daily driver of a car since I was 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> because my mom didn't drive, and we had to take in a border to um, offset some costs when my father left, and we needed to go to the grocery store. So I taught myself to drive a car so I could take my mom to the grocery store when I was 13. I drove every day picking like, and it was, you know, that's incredibly illegal. It's not as illegal as 
it's not as illegal as heroin, but I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not a thing you would think of a 13 year old doing. Right. And yet I did not, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It's just addiction well, is such a crazy thing how, yeah, well, how it hits some I people think, and not others. Yeah, that just goes to show you how different paths people can take depending on, you know, what, how their life is shaped and stuff. And yeah. like you said, you know, not having that addictive gene and, um, yeah, maybe you don't have it. And so it just wasn't, there was no appeal for you in the first place. And it's just fascinating that everything you described to me that you were trying to get to sounded terrible to me. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'd have to go to yeah. some house and do drugs there then. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'd have to go right. to the street. Sounds terrible. I'd be around people. Well, see, you know. Now, to me, that sounds terrible. Good like, I don't know if maybe like doing heroin made me a recluse and now I don't want to pee around people. But <laughs> back then, well, for sure. That's the next question then is when. And then we're going to get to the diabetes to thing. Yeah. Hey, watch your headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Careful your headphones don't scrape on your clothes or your hair, okay? Oh, um, okay. But yeah, how do you get from the pills to the heroin? So I watched those pills go from like $7 for one pill to $30 a pill. And when you have like a five pill a day habit, that gets really really crazy expensive you're telling me inflation drove you to heroin <laughs> this is a very long episode so i'm going to get through the ads quickly first things first fantastic type 1 diabetes organization supporting children all over the world touched by type 1 check them out at touchedbytype1.org the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump is the insulin pump that my daughter has been using since she was four years old. She is 16 right now. She's been wearing an Omnipod every day from four till right now. It has absolutely been a great friend in this life with type 1 diabetes. Arden enjoys very much that she can keep the pump on while she's showering or bathing or swimming or performing activities like exercise or sports. She loves that it doesn't have any tubing. Every other insulin pump does but the omnipod doesn't so the omnipod if you don't know what it is it's this small thing that you you know you wear and it has everything inside of it that you need you control it from this little controller kind of looks like a small android phone so i say wireless and of course tubeless because the insulin's in the pump it's not in the controller like in every other insulin pump that you're thinking of and if none of this is making sense to you because you're new to insulin pumps Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and get yourself a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod sent directly to you. Omnipod would be thrilled to send you a pod experience kit. And like I said, there's no cost and no obligation. So give it a try. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. There are links right there in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com if you need to find them. While you're there, you probably want to take a look at the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor, right? You're on the internet. You're thinking about improving your stuff. No better time than now to look into the Dexcom G6. What is it? Little sensor on your skin sends a signal to your iPhone, your Android, or a Dexcom receiver and shows you your blood sugar in real time constantly. And not just the number, but the speed and direction. I swiped up on my phone. Open the app. Arden's blood sugar is a 100 and it is steady. I can actually flip the phone sideways and look at like the last six hours and tell you that uh, Arden's blood sugar has been 
77, 81, 92, 97, 104, 106. Blah, blah. I can just run my finger along the screen. She's gotten as high as 135 at one point, brought her back down to 125. Half an hour later, 100, 96, 97, 105, 100. You see that? That's amazing. I'm just running my finger across the screen, seeing my daughter's blood sugar. Every five minutes, it shows you a new reading. It's astonishing and a huge part in how I decide how to use insulin for Arden and how she decides. She told me today she was going to eat and my wife was going to bring her hot cocoa. So my wife wasn't home, but she was home eating. So she pre bolused for her food plus the cocoa. And then she waited, began to eat, did not see a rise in her blood sugar and had enough insulin on board when the hot chocolate came to the house. So somewhere in those numbers I was telling you is hot chocolate and lunch. Making decisions about insulin is much easier when you can see the speed and direction that your blood sugar is moving. And the Dexcom G6 does that for you. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. It also has a share and follow feature, which is what I just kind of demonstrated to you. I can see my daughter's blood sugar on my phone and we could share her information with up to 10 people if we wanted to. And you could too. There are links to all of the sponsors, including the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, Gvoke Hypopen, the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump, the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, and Touch by Type 1 right there in the show notes of your podcast player or again at juiceboxpodcast.com. I appreciate it when you support the sponsors. It keeps the show free and flowing. Let's get back to Neva because there is a metric ton more she's going to tell you. You're telling me inflation drove you to heroin? <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's really what happened. Who was president 12 years ago? Who can we blame for this? I'll look for you. You keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you're sick and don't have enough money to feel um, good doing your five pill a day habit and somebody says oh well I have this and it's much cheaper um, and it'll get you 10 times higher and while you're sick you think well, well yeah give it to me you know yeah so and I did kind of think at first you know I was like oh this is heroin I can't be doing that you know like the others was okay because it I knew exactly what I was getting where it was coming from how much was in it was from a doctor so that's not bad even though I was crushing it up and snorting it, it wasn't bad. <laughs> sorry, you made me laugh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that first time when my boyfriend at the time brought back the heroin and said, well, I have this, so um, we're sick. Let's just do this. I remember thinking, oh, well, what is this going to open up? You know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a, a real junkie now. Yeah. You know, even though I already was clearly doing everything a junkie does so i I just don't know why oh i'm using pills so i'm not a junkie but Mm -hmm. i'm using heroin so i am a junkie yeah well george w bush did this apparently to you i just looked up on google he uh oh really (laughs) whatever the (laughs) obviously i'm kidding but uh (laughs) it's it, it, it it's interesting as hell that you could see the pills as not as bad because they were right. somebody got them legitimately, even though they weren't yours. And, and, and like in a way, 
that's true mm-hmm. because like with heroin you don't know exactly what you're getting um or where it's coming from right whereas with the pills i mean as i know they do make fake pills and stuff but i'm pretty sure most of the ones i got were, were legit um you do you know they're made in a lab they have to be fda approved and stuff so like in a way they are quote unquote better but i mean it, you're it's the same thing yeah, like really yeah, it's it's the same thing. you literally cooking it in a spoon and injecting it how do you use it uh yeah so at first so the pills i went from just taking them orally for probably about a year maybe not even that much long maybe like six months and then i started snorting them and i probably snorted them all the way up until i started heroin and i was living in california at the time and so what they had out there was black tar heroin and so i would smoke it on like tin foil and um so i used it like that for a few years and then that wasn't getting me high anymore and i knew some people around that you know just being in the the circle of like i didn't i didn't really have friends at the time but from going to the dealer i would see people you know and we would kind of converse or whatever you know you just know people that are in that circle kind of kind of thing and so i knew some of them use needles and I knew that, okay, I'm smoking this stuff just to get me well and feel normal, but I want to get high. So in order to get high, I'd have to shoot it. And I tried for the longest time to not use the needles, but, you know, you get desperate enough. You, in addiction, you do things yeah. you would never thought you would do. And so, yeah, so I started shooting it up so the draw uh, i want to try to understand just make sure i got this right smoking heroin to stay to keep from being sick but that didn't make you high anymore right right yeah you get to a point when you use so much and for so long you get to a point where it doesn't make you high anymore you it's just literally using to make you feel normal okay and i I guess it's probably difficult for people to understand that haven't done it and I, I'm going to put myself in that category. But what is in that moment? This like how? What does the sickness feel like? Like when you're when you're when you don't when have you don't it in have your system it. anymore? Because it, because it makes you do it makes you ignore things that you would normally. Oh not yeah, ignore, right. So it may, it turns you into a completely different person. Like you will do anything to not feel sick, and it that just shows you how horrible of a feeling it is. Yeah, it is the worst feeling I've ever felt, although DK was pretty far up there, <laughs> but, um, I would say withdrawal is pretty, um, physical pretty pain. Like, <laughs> like can it, you- yeah. So you, it starts with your, so like maybe 24 hours after not having it, you, your nose gets runny. Um, your eyes get runny and then your extremities like start to get cold and you start to sweat so you're like hot but you're cold at the same time you get those cold sweats Mm -hmm. and then maybe like 72 hours or 48 hours to 72 hours after you haven't had it then you're you get restless legs and you can't sleep and um then you start vomiting and have diarrhea you can't keep anything down it's 
coming out both ends. You can't stay still. Your joints ache. Your back aches. Your bones just ache and your muscles ache. And then you can't sleep on top of it and you're throwing up and you're cold and you're hot. And it is just a horrible, horrible Mm -hmm. feeling. And then just to know that, and that lasts for like probably about a week until you start feeling better. Um, And, but just to know that the only thing that will take all of that horrible pain away is just one little shot or line or whatever, you know, just a little, little bit of the drug and it'll just all, you'll feel completely fine again. And if you, if you stayed medicated, like to a point where you wouldn't feel sick, but wouldn't be high, would you just be a useless person? Like if you had enough heroin and you had to just keep like a steady, like say you could, you, somebody could stop you from using more. Would you just be like a zombie or could you, function? could you, Um, is there a functioning spot in there? So, and that's what is a really hard thing about my addiction too, is I did, um, function for so long like that. And so I, what, you know, I, definitely do say I was a functioning addict. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a zombie like life. Like there would be times when I would go to work and I would like nod off at work, you know, and it just, and then when you're working to, and literally all your money is going to that, it's like, there's more to life than just that. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think you could do it, but does anybody really want to do that? Like, what kind of life is that, you know? Do you, um, looking back, do you think that the people around you, like at your job and stuff, do you think they knew you were an addict? Like, do you think you thought you were hiding it, but you weren't? Yeah, okay. I think they're, because there's no way, you know, like, when I'm sitting there, like, nodded off, like, there's no way nobody can not see that and yeah. think, like, Oh, she's just tired. And that's what I would say, you know, like, oh, I'm just tired, but really, I'm just fooling myself. (laughs) Well, okay. (sighs) Give me a second. Let's breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Here we go. Gonna take my sweatshirt off in a second. That's never happened before. (laughs) Heating up as we're talking. Um, So your parents kind of lead you to trying to get cleaned up, right? And, right. um, the first try was, what, what do they do first? The f- is it rehab so the, or is it, how do they the start? The first try I think was when I was still using, um, the pills and I think I just tried to go cold Turkey and I think I lasted three days and then I went back out using was and then I think I, I don't know if I was like just a really good liar or if my parents just didn't want to like, um, didn't know what to do. Yeah. Or like kind of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, um, sweep it under the rug type of thing. Like wanted to not deal with it or something. So so I would tell them, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm not using, I'm good. Even though I was. Um, and so that would go on, you know, like, Hey, I would tell them, Oh, those three days, you know, okay, I'm good. Now I, I got over it. Right. What, but what, then I, I don't want to drag, 
I don't want to drag your sister's personal details in it, but at what part of her life is it while you're, when they try to get you, like, has she already had her accident by then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she, I think her accident was in 2001, and we were still living in Colorado at the time. And then I moved out to California with my family when I was 11, and that was in 2003. And she moved out there with us, and she, she, she completely turned her life around after her accident. She um, started going to school. She got her, um, she went to school out there, mm-hmm. got her master's. Now she has a PhD. Wow. Um, and so she kind of had her own life off to the side where I was still living with my parents. Um, so the reason I ask, and it was her accident, like, I don't need real details, but drug related? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and alcohol, alcohol and drugs. Okay. I'm trying to imagine your parents. They've got a, their oldest girl is paralyzed from a drug-related car accident, and now they Mm -hmm. found out their youngest is using Oxy. Do you think they were just like, oh, we're just not good at this. Like, you know, like, (laughs) what are we going to do? I know. I can't can't even imagine what I have put them through. Um, Well, them, yeah, not even them just going through my sister nearly dying but then yeah what i can't even imagine the stress that i've put them through right i just meant like i'm trying to figure out like when you said you don't know if they were trying to sweep it under the rug i I imagine they're in their bedroom with the door closed going what do we do like what do we do i don't know what to do i'm you know and i yeah they and they probably were like that and they probably didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do, and so Eva, yeah. So Eva, Arden can't like, Arden can't pick out a new dresser for her room, and my <laughs> wife and I are like in the bedroom, going, "Oh my god, how long is this gonna go on?" You, you know, <laughs> so yeah. uh, it, it, it's hard being like someone's parent, and I'm not altered, which it sounds like your dad was, and and you know, right. it's just a lot of, and you still got to go to work. You know what I mean? Like, try to imagine it's, you know, it's a Thursday and your daughter comes downstairs and is like, hey, you know, I'm on pills. And you're like, I'm exhausted and I just want to get high and then go to bed tomorrow and go back to work. I'm I'm pretending to be your dad now. He's probably like, I was going to smoke and go to bed and go back to work. And now this is just there's no time for it. And then so the cold turkey thing, did anyone try to help you? What was that like? Yeah, they um. They did for sure. And they tried to make me comfortable and all that. And, but, you know, we said at the beginning, it was kind of like it was forced on me, you know, it wasn't that I really wanted it. So it was kind of going to fail anyway, you know, like, because I didn't really want it. Yeah. So you've tried cold turkey. You didn't want it. You was, you've tried Suboxone, which, um, I, I actually know what that is because um, this is going to sound random to you and something that the words may not mean anything to you. But uh, a comedian that used to work on the Howard Stern show was an addict. His name was Artie Lang. And I remember. I, I, I know who that is. It's know, funny because I listened to another podcast that has to do with him. Yeah. Oh, so Artie, who, by the way, used to tell the greatest drug stories uh, on the radio. They were just, and I feel bad having been so thoroughly entertained by them, but he tells one about being on the set of Mad TV dressed 
as a pig in a full costume with like teats and everything. And literally like during a break in filming racing across Los Angeles to get cocaine. And it's, and, and it's, I've never heard anyone tell a funnier story in my entire life. Of course, everything that happened to him after that, uh not very funny, but, um, (laughs) but I remember Artie always saying, I'm using Suboxone. I'm okay. I'm using Suboxone, but I think he was, I don't think he was. I think he was using and telling people he was mm-hmm. at, at different times. So, but Suboxone is what? Tell people what it's supposed to be. So, Suboxone is a replacement therapy drug um, or like medically assisted treatment, I guess is what they would call it, which methadone um, also falls into that, which we'll get into that as well. Mm-hmm. But um, so, Suboxone, it's the drug that it actually is, is naloxone, which well, it's buprenorphine and naloxone. Um, and so buprenorphine is the drug that attaches to your opiate receptor. So it blocks, it basically blocks your opiate receptor. So it makes your brain think that you're, when you take it, it makes your brain think that you've got, that you're high on the drugs, but you don't get high. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to try to use on top of using the Suboxone, um, you wouldn't get high. You would actually get sick. Um, which is kind of a weird thing with me when I did start the Suboxone maintenance, I would still kind of use on the side too. And I actually didn't get that sick. Like you're supposed to, um, you fully the system. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I used it like not in a therapeutical way. I, I would use it when I didn't have heroin basically is how I would use the Suboxone. Gotcha. So you just, you just use it to make the sickness go away, but you still want to get high. Right. Right. Um, And so, and you said you've tried methadone inpatient, outpatient, like everything. What finally worked? (laughs) Well, so that kind of brings us into the diabetes. (laughs) Ah. Um, Yeah. Nearly dying from DKA, I think is kind of, what set it off um so i moved so my when i moved um out to california with my family i went to high school there and everything started using drugs got into all those issues out there and then in 2015 we thought okay maybe you should move out to cal to colorado and be with like your because my whole extended family still lives out here like my grandpa aunts and uncles and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um maybe if you move out there you know changing the scenery and everything maybe that'll help you you know since i had tried everything else and so i did that in 2015 and that didn't work i started using almost immediately after coming here and i came out here and um started living with my grandfather and so then I basically the same cycle started over again here as it did there. Um, I would, I f- somehow found a dealer, I think online somehow I found the internet's dealer. amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really is. You can get almost anything. Uh, right. <laughs> you, you, I'm trying to imagine your grandfather in his golden years. Like, wait a minute, what's happening? My what now is coming to live with me? Oh, great, yeah. great. This is going to be But great. then the whole time, you know, I'm telling everybody, oh, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm good, I'm clean. And yeah. I don't know if they believed me. They, I guess they said they did, but there was always, you know, that 
in the back of their mind because everything else had failed and stuff that I maybe wasn't telling the truth. And then the same issues, you know, well, wasn't paying my bills and stuff like that. So then it would be like, oh, well, are you really good, Neva? Mm -hmm. And so then that's when, um, well, I started, I had a job out here. I was working with my aunt um, in an office job. And I worked the front desk. I was like a receptionist accounting person. Um, and I dealt with the cash box. And so. That's not a good job for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, even I so, know that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm good. Remember? Oh, yeah. Everything's so, fine. One yeah. for me, two for you, two for me, one for <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly what happened. So. Somebody there went and ca counted the cash box, and of course, it was short. And then they started investigating. And you know, my aunt, knowing my background, comes to me and says, You know, I put my neck on the line for you to give you this job. You need to tell me, did you take this money? And so I told her, Yes, I took it. And then my mom got involved and she said, Well, we need to figure something out. Like, this still isn't working. What what do we need to do to help you? And that's when I um, tried the inpatient. It was out here that I tried the inpatient for the first time. Okay. And so I went to a detox out here and um, I was in detox for, I think like five days. And then from there, sorry, I had to take a drink. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> from there. Don't apologize. I, you're great. At this. <laughs> I can tell you listen to a lot of podcasts, so you're, you're doing terrific. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so from the detox, in order to get out of the detox facility, you had to have something set up for afterward, whether it be um, session, like a, an appointment to meet with a therapist or a counselor or to go into an inpatient program or to go into an outpatient program. You had to have something set up. And so my deal, I they make you set it up while you're in there, you know, because you're in your, when you're in the detox facility, you're going to groups, you know, every few hours and conversing with the other people that are in there and stuff. And then you have some downtime. And during that downtime, you're supposed to be calling your insurance and setting up this aftercare stuff. And so I set up to go to this inpatient program, which was a two week program. And of course, my family is telling me, oh, you need more than that. You need at least 30 days, 90 days, something like six months, even some people were saying. And <laughs> like, I don't, you stay I don't there doubt for a while. that I needed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, I wanted to get out and start living my life. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in there. And, and there was also a part of me that wanted to still like be an adult and take care of my, you know, go to work. And, yeah. um, I didn't want to be stuck in a rehab facility and somebody taking care of me, you know, like it just, there was something in my head that, well, I don't want to burden you with having to take care of me. So I guess I went for the two week program thinking I can, like, I, I had it in my mind, like, yeah, I can do it. I, I think I got my head on straight now. Um, but then 
there was still something in my head that didn't want me to give up. Mm. I don't know if it was the, the comfort, like knowing of that I have that, that I can fall back on, or there was something still in the back of my mind that kept me wanting to still use, like not give it up completely. Like there was, you know, they say, okay, you never, you can't ever use again. Yeah. And to me, that just like, you're like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I could use a little bit. Like I'll just start over (laughs) like when I was 17. I'll use a little bit here and there. I'll be fine. So the detox, like when you're detox, detoxed, it doesn't take away whatever issue. I mean, do you buy into the idea that people using like hard drugs like this or who are drinking a ton or, are trying that they're covering some sort of emotional pain up. I do. And I don't. And so that's still, you know, something that I'm still trying to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause like I said, in the beginning, like I had a great childhood things for the most part have been good in my life. And so what could it have been that I was covering up? But then like thinking back, you know, well, okay, I had this boyfriend that I started using with, well, he would also, you know, be verbally abusive to me and just, you know, stuff like that, that maybe I was trying to medicate, you know, or something. My question around that, and I really, I don't know the first thing about this, but my question around that just from listening to you is. That some people like if you weren't being physically restrained, I don't understand that you ever saw him again, and and so I've been treated poorly by like we've all been treated poorly by somebody at some point, and some people are just like what is this noise and they're gone, and some mm-hmm. people are like it's not that bad he likes yeah, so, like you know what I mean like that yeah and I do I totally know what you mean because I've thought about this before too is. I think I was for a while addicted to him as much as I was the drugs, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think he, from the beginning was like a a troubled boy, you know? And so I had this idea in my mind, well, I can fix him. I can make him happy. And I'm, uh, when he's with me, he's happy. And so. It makes you feel good. Yeah, it just it yeah. Makes you feel so like I you're, think you're I just, the you're you're the you're his medicine, not this. Right. He won't have to yeah. do this much longer. Hey, I it, I hope this doesn't seem out of left field. He's your first sexual experience, or no? Yes. Okay, that seems important for me to know. So and and I think yeah, and it uh, since you do say that, um, there was this idea in the back of my head, like. Oh, the high school sweetheart thing. Like, oh, I have to have the high school sweetheart. Yeah. Have to have this guy that, you know, he was, you know, I lost my virginity to him. So, and I won't ever have to have sex with anybody else because he's my high school sweetheart. We're going to live forever together, you know? And so I think that was definitely in the back of my mind that something I felt strongly about. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that, you know, I don't doubt the idea of people having, um, uh, a tendency towards addiction. I, I don't at all, but I just, there's, it's hard not to feel like you just got unlucky with the first yeah. person you bumped into as well. And I, I think that is it, you know, and also unlucky that I had that addict gene because maybe if I didn't have that addict gene, I could have just put it down, you know? Right. You could have like, like no lie. If, if I'm, 
I don't mean this in a creepy way, but if, if me at 17 and you at 17 met each other, we wouldn't have done drugs together. Right. And, and if you would have, I would have been like, hey, if you do that, I'm not going to hang out. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that wouldn't have been enough pressure for you to be like, well, I like this guy and he doesn't want me to do drugs. So like, if that doesn't just send I'm sure you it on a yeah. different path, I, you, you know, yeah, um, you'd probably be a raging alcoholic by now. But I'm just saying at least we wouldn't have done pills together is what I'm yes. saying. I'm just saying with your family, I don't think you're getting away from this <laughs> or, or, you'd weigh, right, or yeah. you'd weigh a thousand pounds or something. You know, like I think you'd just be like. I'd have an addiction somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> I got to be addicted to something, damn it. Um, yeah. and, and that does bring up a question now that you're and let me ask, how long have you been clean? Now it has been. Two years. Hey, congratulations. Just over two years. That's yeah. excellent. Good for you. Thank uh, you. Yeah. How do you not, um, like, what do you do to fill that need to be a dick? Like, did you, did you overcome it or are you just doing it with something? Like, are you doing like a, a I'm fuck still, ton of needle point so, or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm still, um, I make scarves, Scott. Would program. you like a scarf? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have hobbies. I definitely do have a lot of hobbies. Um, but, I am still in aftercare. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still in the methadone program. So I do. Um, so I don't. Do you want to jump into the diabetes thing? Because it does kind of. Hey, listen, you know it. your story way better than me. All I can tell everybody listening is we're an hour in and you still haven't heard what I'm going to tell you <laughs> is the best goddamn diagnosis story you've ever heard in your whole <laughs> life. So just hold on. Yeah. It's coming. Okay. So. So after I got out of the the inpatient, I think I stayed clean maybe like a week or something and started using again. Right. And then um, I met a boy and he did not use and he despised my using. And I liked this boy enough to try to stop, you know, because my, you know, I, well, I, so I ended up losing that job that I was taking the cash from. You would think. Yeah. And, um, and so I was jobless for a little while and I ended up finding another job and, you know, I started this relationship with this boy. And then, so that's when I started the methadone program out here. Mm -hmm. And so methadone, it's a replacement drug also, but if you don't have it, you'll, you'll get um, sick as well. Okay. And so that's kind of controversial to some people. They think you're just replacing one for the other, but there's a lot to be said about, well, if you're truly working, like, you know, like you don't get high from it. Like if you're, if you're at a right dose um, and you're working on, you know, the other, aspects of your life trying to put the pieces back together Mm -hmm. and then um working on like coming off of it like they slowly slow very slowly wean you off of it um i think it can be used therapeutically to where it's not like oh just replacing one for the other like i don't want to be on this for the rest of my life you know right um but right now it's a lot better than sticking a needle in my arm. So this methadone is keeping your body from going bonkers, putting you True in pain, all these withdrawal problems. Um, right. But it's not feeding your addiction, though. Right. Okay. So so what do you do? Are you, do you still feel the pull, or does the methadone keep you from wanting to be high, too? 
the methadone, it does do a really good job at keeping your brain from not thinking about it. Um, but you know, I, I'm an addict so and I'm always going to be. And so I'm always going to think about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but so when I do think about it, you know, I have people I can call and that's, you know, I've always had a really good support system. And for the most part, I've been pretty honest with people about my addiction um, and how bad it's gotten and stuff. And so I do have people I can turn to in those times of need. And so back in 2018, um, it was, I had just gotten this new job that I had told you about. I've been going to the methadone program for a couple months. You know, things were going pretty good. And then I kind of started to lose weight a little bit. But at the same time, I also found out I was pregnant. Um, And I was drinking a lot. I was super thirsty. I was going to the bathroom a lot. And, um, so the methadone program, they pee test you every once a month. And I had, so I told my boyfriend, it was so how I found out I was pregnant was I, um, I, my, my boyfriend has weird superstitions like, oh, if I have a headache and he has a headache, oh, that means you're pregnant. Like weird stuff like that. Like, so one day he goes, oh, my stomach's, my stomach's been hurting. I said, oh, my stomach's hurting too. And he's like, oh, you're pregnant. That means you're pregnant. And I was like, no, that's, you know, I'm pregnant. And so he said, well, let's just buy a test and find out. And I was like, no. And then he said, well, let's just, just do it. And I was like, okay. Cause I really didn't think I was pregnant. So I was like, okay, I'll humor you all. Let's just get the test and I'll take it. And I'm, it's going to be negative. So whatever, you know? And so took the test and, um, it came back, like it almost immediately came back positive. And uh, like right away, I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh. Like, and so I'm like, start Googling, like how accurate are these things? Like, it's gotta be wrong. It's gotta be wrong. And so here I'm still thinking, you know, like I'm, I'm not pregnant. I, I, I can't be pregnant. You know, like I, I don't even get a period because I'm on this methadone. So like I can't, can't be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I, then about a couple days after I took that test, I started waking up every morning, throwing up. And that's when I knew, you know, this is morning sickness. I'm definitely pregnant. And so about a week after that, I woke up one morning in excruciating pain. And mind you, I'm still losing weight, going to the bathroom constantly, super thirsty, all that. Yeah. Um, and so I wake up in excruciating pain and I'm, um, I go to the bathroom and blood lots of blood just coming out of me and so I clean it up and all that stuff and um then I kind of start thinking well this this is too much blood to be normal like am I having a miscarriage and um so I kind of I was toyed through the idea, like, should I go to the doctor? What should I do? I don't, 
you know, I was still living with my grandfather at this time. So I thought, well, I don't want to, you know, tell him what's going on because I, like, I, I didn't want to be pregnant, but I wasn't going to have an abortion either. So, um, I was, I'm a spiritual person. So like I prayed to God, hoping, you know, asking him, like, I don't want to be pregnant, you know, like I just wasn't ready for a baby at this time in my life, you know, and I've never really wanted to be a parent really anyway, but I knew that this time, like just wasn't right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still trying to put the pieces back um, of my life together and all that from my addiction and yeah, it was just a lot to bring in a baby, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I had hoped that I wasn't pregnant, but I, you know, my spiritual beliefs and all that, I just, I couldn't bring myself to get an abortion. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but, um, when I had prayed to God asking that I wasn't pregnant, I didn't know that that's what was going to happen, you know, have a miscarriage like that. But, you know, thinking back to it, you know, God knew that it wasn't the right time in my life either. So I guess it happened for the best. Um, but so, yeah, so that morning I um, ended up passing, you know, the tissue and the blood clots and all that. Yeah. And then... Um, never did go to the doctor. I know people have told me that I probably should have and all of that, but I just, you know, went through it. And my boyfriend, of course, he knew, you know, my reservations of not wanting a kid or anything like that. So when I told him that I had had a miscarriage, I told him um, because I wanted support, you know, because he was going through this too, because he wants kids and all that. And so because he was a part of it, you know, I told him thinking that he would be supportive, but of course the first thing that he said was, what did you do to our baby? He oh. thought I had gotten an abortion, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so may I suggest something while we take a break here? Cause this got pretty heavy. Sure. You should yeah. stay away from penises completely. That's my <laughs> first thought for you. Okay. Um, I don't know if you have any, gay tendencies but i'd follow them if, if you do <laughs> and um i would uh i would i would definitely if you get near a penis i would wrap it up in like saran wrap and then put a condom over top of it and then more <laughs> saran wrap that's the first thing uh second yeah. thing I, and second thing um i hope you don't carry any guilt about the miscarriage because i mean i understand your faith and everything but you know I don't think you, yeah, you didn't pick up I, the phone, make a direct call to God and be like, hey, could you get rid of this pregnancy for me? Right. And he was like, oh, no problem. Um, I would, And I, yeah. I, I don't, I think, you know, carry a lot of guilt um, because looking back, you know, because I didn't know what had caused the miscarriage, like now I do. But at the time, that's how it felt. I did. Yeah, I did think like, well, what did I do, you know, to I had to have done something to like, was it the methadone? what was it that was I malnourished? What was, you know, it was something I did that made this baby die. Um, but 
that leads us into the next it does. <laughs> segment. Well, I, I was looking through while you were talking a little bit online, and you definitely don't want to be on methadone and have a baby on purpose. That's for certain. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because they, they could go through the withdrawals, too, when they're born, because that methadone supply is completely taken away from them. So, yeah, yeah putting a baby through that just, yeah. Right. But no, you, had, you. you had a, a miscarriage for a very uh, uh, simple reason, right? You were you had type 1 diabetes and you weren't treating it. You had no idea. Right. Yeah. How long and after so, the miscarriage did you figure that out? Um, Let's see. July, August. Two months, I guess. Um, So the miscarriage happened in July and then I got diagnosed in September. And... This was all in 2018. So, like, 2018 was, like, the worst year of my life. Um, but that's saying something, Eva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just so right? you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I mean, really, that's a... <laughs> That's really saying something because yeah. every year of your life seems like the worst year of your life. And, right. the, and and it's just it's terrible that it kept building on you. And also, by the way, fills you with perspective, doesn't it? Because yeah. because really, you know, it, it, it could be worse, I guess, you, you know, and <laughs> and I just yeah. I don't even know. I'm so sorry that I laughed. I don't think it's funny. I just think it's it's crazy. That, yeah. that 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 you could after telling that entire story. We've been talking for an hour and fifteen minutes, and you've been doing most of the talking, which most people are going to be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe Scott shut up so Neva could tell her story." <laughs> but I uh, did, okay. And and so it it um that that you it just took me by surprise that you said that was the worst year of my life. I thought, right. my yeah. god, like that's really saying something. So at this point now, you fought through all this addiction. You're still, I mean, you're using methadone um, to help yourself, but this isn't like, you know, for people who don't understand, it's not like you got the flu and it's gone now. Like you're still, you know, you're, you're fighting with it. If you didn't have that methadone, do you think you'd use? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you have a miscarriage and I don't mean to tell you who to be with, but that whole thing, your belly hurts, my belly hurts thing. That makes me really question <laughs> that guy. And so, um, and, and well, I'm still with the guy, just so you know. I'm not going to badmouth him past that. I'm just saying <laughs> I want some more clear thinking than my belly hurts, your belly hurts, you must be pregnant. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, like I was saying, he wants kids. He wants a family and stuff. So I think just any little excuse, you know, to get Yeah, you thought us got to get a dog, okay? Because we're not, <laughs> we're not, Neva's not up to making babies yet, okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. all right, right. You, you are, if you ever have a baby... You are going to look back on this moment right now and the moments that came before this and realize that you are 100% a different person. Because yeah. otherwise, you, listen, I've raised two kids so far. It's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. It's insanely <laughs> difficult. And you want to be at your best while you're doing it. Because the first, because why? Because anything can can knock you off course a little bit. And if you keep getting knocked off course over and over and over again, before you get, before you know it, you're so lost, there's no way back. And somebody, mm -hmm. a, a child needs somebody to make the hard decisions and the obvious decisions when, mm -hmm. when they're not there. Like just imagine if your mom was in the room the first time you're like, I'm going to take this pill. She would have been like, no, you're not. And yeah. you, you know what I mean? And, and, and there you go. 
and you're off on a, you know, a different path. So you need to be the best you possible to be a parent. And exactly. You know what I mean? And I feel like you know that. I didn't feel like I was yeah. like scolding you right there. Like I, I really feel like you understand that. But you tell this boy to calm down is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, no, that's right? good because if my boyfriend does listen to this, then. <laughs> yeah. Listen to me, man. He'll Stop know. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's enough. Seriously. Get a hamster. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I mean, practice on a parrot first or something. I don't know. Uh, wow. Okay. I'm so sorry. 2018 was the worst year of your life. Continue. Yeah. So in September, um, I walk into the methadone clinic to get my dose and they tell me, um, oh, well, your last UA came back positive for alcohol. And I look at them like, what? Like, I don't drink alcohol. Like, that's, that must be a false positive or something because yeah. I don't drink. <laughs> you think they got your aunt's pee by mistake? I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they, their protocol is to give you a breathalyzer um, before they, when you test positive for alcohol, because if you come in drunk, they won't give you your methadone because there's like some negative reactions okay. to, with using both of them, I guess. So, you know, they give me the breathalyzer and I blow into it and, well, I'm thinking, okay, well, my, that test had to have been a false positive. So if I haven't drinking anything, so I'm going to blow zeros, you know, yeah. no problem. So I blow into the thing and of course I blow numbers and I told the nurse there, I was like, I haven't drinking any alcohol. And they're like, well, try it again. So I try again and of course I blow numbers again. And so I'm getting really frustrated. I'm like, well, okay, I, I've drinking orange juice, I've drinking water, and I've drinking coffee. Could any of those do it? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, maybe it's the machine. And so the nurse, you know, tries it. She blows into it. Well, she blows zeros. And then so that happened. <laughs> they didn't give me my dose for that day. Okay. How long so, until that's a problem, by the way, not having the method of Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I come in. So I th I think, okay, well, crap, that sucks. But what am I going to do? You know, I can't. They're they obviously aren't going to believe me. You know, like I'm an addict. They're not going to believe me. Um. So I go through the that 24 hours, and then um, come back in the next morning, and the same thing. They give me the breathalyzer, blow numbers, and. I'm thinking like, well, what? I don't, I don't understand. And so the nurse looks at me and he goes, well, are you a diabetic? I said, no. And he goes, well, we can't get, I mean, that was it. Like he yeah. didn't elaborate on it or anything. And so he's like, well, we can't give you your methadone. Sorry. And let me go out my way. And so by this time I'm getting sick. And so I turn back to the heroin because I don't want to be sick. Mm -hmm. and it had only been a couple of months by that point. So I wasn't um, like completely out of the game or cured or anything like that. So in that you know, quick, went back Neva, real quick, it, that fast you can get heroin again, just bang, like no big deal. Like I'll just go get heroin. It's like, did it take you an hour or a day or um, no, because I still um, had the person's number. So um, that helps. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just able to call them back up again. Cause like I said, it was only a couple months. Um, like now if I were to try again, I'm cause 
these dealers that I deal with here, they like change their numbers quite often. So if, like if I were to try to even call that number that I had before, I don't even think it would work. Right, But it hadn't been long enough that you had right. to do any heavy lifting to. And I'm assuming exactly. you would have known people to talk to as well. If yeah. You yeah. I could have. Yeah. It might, it would have taken a bit longer, but I, you know, if I'm, an addict wants something bad enough, they'll, they'll find a way to get it. I'm just saying like we bought a side table for Arden's room and it took six weeks to get it. And you're like, I can have heroin in a week in a day. And I was like, geez, <laughs> yeah. that's, I just really was, I, I, I couldn't imagine that's why I asked. I was like, oh, how long would it take to like get back in the game? But I guess not not yeah, long. Not not long at all. So it took two days of not having methadone before you were like, I know how to handle this. And, mm-hmm. and 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 then what happens? So that was on a Tuesday that I went back to using. Mm-hmm. And at this point I was um I didn't tell anybody, you know, that I didn't get my methadone or anything, but I was rapidly losing weight at this point like my pants were like sagging off of me and um going to the bathroom 50 times a day and just drinking crazy amounts of liquid and so at that point um I remembered what the nurse had said he said do you have diabetes and I thought well, what are the symptoms of diabetes? So I Googled the symptoms of diabetes. And of course I had every single one of them. And so I called my grandmother who was a retired nurse. And I talked to her a little bit about, you know, my symptoms and stuff. And she said, well, yeah, it's kind of sounds like you have diabetes. And, um, but she didn't, um, elaborate on the like severity of DK or anything like that. And so she said, well, call your doctor and make an appointment. And she didn't even say anything about type one or type two or anything like that. Yeah. She just said, yeah, it sounds like you have diabetes, go see your doctor. And so that was on Wednesday that I called her and looked up the symptoms and all that. And so I called my doctor when I got off the phone with her and made an appointment with them. And I told them, you know, I think I might have diabetes and Uh, Here I am. I think I was 26 at the time and they're on the phone with me. They can't visually see me or anything. So I'm sure they're probably thinking type two diabetes, you know, since I'm 26. Hmm. So they schedule me an appointment um, for the following Tuesday to come in to get it checked. And so the next day rolls around and my grandma sends me a message and she says, how are you doing today? Um, well, so one of the symptoms that I noticed on the um, on Google of type one diabetes or DKA was fatigue, and I didn't really have fatigue yet at that point. I was just had the thirstiness, the um, going to the bathroom, and the weight loss. And so, you know, she asked me. She said, "Well, how are you doing today?" And I said, "I'm doing okay. Uh, my fatigue is a little worse, uh, but..." you know, I, I have this appointment on Tuesday, so I'm good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the next day rolls around, I think it was, so it's Friday now, Friday morning, I get up and I go to work and I, um, am still maintaining, you know, my withdrawals from, by using. And so I get up and I go to work. And by the time I get into work, I start throwing up. And so I go to my boss and I say, well, I 
you know, just throw up in my trash can. So I'm going to go home. And so I went home and I, you know, I'm living with my grandfather. And so when I get home, I told him, you know, I, I came home early cause I wasn't feeling good. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, you don't look very good. And I guess I was really pale. And so I go down to my room and I, um, tried to lay down and I kept telling myself, well, if I can just rest, you know, I'll, I'll feel better. And so I couldn't keep any, any food or liquids down at this point. And then my breathing started to get really, really heavy. And I forgot to say when my grandmother had messaged me the day before, when I told her my fatigue was worse, she had told me to go to the ER at that point. Yeah. But I didn't, listen to her because i didn't know the severity you know i thought like did this feel i like have my appointment on tuesday i i can make it till then you know i just need to rest did it at any was point feel thought. like sickness like from the heroin when you the, know and when... i think yeah maybe because i had picked it up again after not using it for so long i think that maybe i did think that maybe i was nauseous because of that because it can make you nauseous if you haven't used for a while right but you still were worried enough that you were going to seek medical attention. It wasn't like you were because yeah, anything yeah, else was, about the drug use you've just hidden. I mean, you hid right. the you hid the miscarriage really. So like mm -hmm. that you're thinking of going to a doctor is kind of a new thread to this conversation, actually. So I was just wondering if there's any overlapping symptoms. That's all. Well, I I was gonna like I had every intention to go to that doctor appointment on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just thought like. I, I'll make it to then, like, because I keep saying, like, I didn't know the severity, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, well, like I said, I thought that, yeah, maybe it could have been from the drug, so it'll go away, you know. And then I'll go to my doctor's appointment and figure this thing out. Yeah. So Friday night rolls around, and I ran out of drugs. So, and I'm feeling really, really crappy. And my breathing, you know, was heavy. I had that, like, they called it panting. You know, I was, like, breathing in and out really, really hard. Yeah, it happened hard. Yeah. And so I um, I called up my guy, to met up, and, you know, we met up. We picked a place to meet or whatever. And I went out to get some soup before meeting up with them. Um and my fatigue at that point was so bad, I couldn't even walk 10 feet um, without having to like stop and take a break and catch my breath. Yeah. And my vision was like blurry and I should not have been driving. And I snuck out of the house to do this, by the way, because my grandpa thinks I'm sick. You know, if I tell him, oh, I'm going to go get some soup. But really, that's not why I'm leaving the house. I got to leave to go get drugs, you yeah. know, like. So I snuck out of the house to do that. And um, so at this point, my grandma is quite concerned. Um, she can't get a hold of me. Uh, and so my, and I think she called my parents. She had asked, you know, she said, well, do you want me to tell your parents? And I, about the, you know, you might have diabetes thing. And I said, no, wait till I go to my appointment and figure out what's going on there. And then I'll tell them. Because it, I felt like that was a big thing that I should be the one to tell them that, you know. Okay. And so um, my 
grandma then calls my parents and I'm out on the street, you know, driving around. And um, then my parents call my grandpa to ask to check on me. And he goes and checks on me and I'm not there. And he, you know, tells him, oh, well, she's not here. And nobody could get a hold of me or anything. And so what had happened was I was dry. I was driving and shouldn't have been driving. I was delirious. Um, I never did make it to meet up with my drug dealer. I had stopped to get gas. Well, no. So what happened was I was trying to get to the gas station and I turned down a freeway off ramp. So I was going the wrong direction and there was cars coming at me and I saw the wrong way sign. I had enough coherence to see that and get turned around safely but somebody must have seen me and called the cops because when i had finally made it stop to get gas i was ambushed by five cop cars and they opened the door and they asked me what's going on and i here i am like delirious panting throwing up um probably white as a ghost and Um, I tell them, I think I might have diabetes and they start, um, asking me questions like what year it is and stuff. And I know I got those answers. I answered those questions wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and those cops, they must have seen in me that I really was not well because they could have just thought I was drunk and taken me to jail. Yeah. But I credit those cops with saving my life that night because they called an ambulance right away. They believed me and they called the ambulance right away. And I got to um, a hospital and they told me at the hospital that if I would have waited, if I would have fallen asleep that night at my house, I probably wouldn't have woken up. Eva, I have to tell you, I'm incredibly impressed that you got out that you thought you had diabetes. Yeah. You know, Seriously, because, you yeah. know, you easily could have yeah. said, hey, I'm a heroin addict, and that wouldn't have gone right. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, that, it, you're right. You know, yeah. I, I've never thought about that, yeah. but yeah. You said the right thing, because you could have been like, I'm just looking for soup and smack. Can you guys help? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who knows what could have came out of my mouth. Holy shit, I'm sorry that this is an after dark, because it's going to have to be called like after dark like heroin after addiction, <laughs> but I wanted to call it after dark soup and smack just now. <laughs> just, oh my you know. God. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good title. <laughs> Listen, I'm getting close to it. Don't worry. I jotted it down on a piece of paper so I don't forget. <laughs> wow. That's insane. Okay. Hold on. You got, I've never not spoken so much on this podcast before in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, and I'm not a talkative person. So it's well, you are tonight and it's <laughs> and it's it's going your way because you're telling a really interesting and and I think to some people uh foreign and to me kind of confounding story it's just it's it's riveting the entire we're an hour and a half into this and I don't think we're anywhere close to being done yet so um <laughs> might have to be a two parter you know it is a cheap way to get downloads but I don't do that <sighs> The other podcasts that have trouble getting downloads, they try to steal a download from you by splitting stuff up. Uh, me, I give you more content. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, wow. 
Wow. Yeah, it was so, the worst year of your life. You're not wrong about that, I guess. And yeah. Does it get better at some point or is this story like you don't get to the hospital and the hospital's on fire or something like that, right? <laughs> Nothing. Like, no, no, no. no? Yeah, it, it definitely does get better. <laughs> good, good. Um. So, yeah, I got it. I made it to the ER um, and, you know, I had been an addict for so long. My veins were completely shot. Um, so they had a hard time, you know even getting an IV in me. And, um, I guess when I got to the hospital, um, they said my body temperature was 92 degrees. Hmm. Um, I weighed 90 pounds and my blood sugar was 935. And I had abscesses on my arms and my body was going septic. Wow. So, yeah, if I didn't make it, if those turn of events did not happen the way they did that night, I probably wouldn't be here. It's ironic, isn't it, that the need for the drugs got you out of the house, got right? you out yeah. of the house, got you to the cop. Even the soup part, I think, is yeah. important. What kind of soup were you going to get, by the way? Chicken noodle. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? It seems and like I the maybe, right way to go. I maybe had like two bites of it. Like I could not really eat it at all. Wow, you didn't even get to have the soup. You, you know what? <laughs> Neva, I have to tell you, you know, by the, you know, as we're speaking now, like I poked around the internet a little bit. Like I feel like I found a picture of you. You're just like an, a very adorable, average looking person. <laughs> and the story, yeah. like, like I was, like when I clicked on the photo, I was like, what is going to happen when this photo comes up? And you're just there. You just, you're just a nice looking person, you know? Like, um, I think that's, I mean, you're a ginger. So, I mean, yep. yeah, you lose a couple points there, I that's think. Me. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm just kidding. By the way, everyone, red hair, just calm down. I don't have anything against your red hair. It's just an easy joke. Um, well, that's funny. My, a lot of my family calls me ginger. So, yeah. Well, you just tell them, Go calm, calm down. They ain't doing you no favors. <laughs> I don't want to hear from them. So <laughs> seriously, come on. <laughs> like I'd be like, I've been through enough. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> but um so you're there in the hospital presenting like a junkie, right? But you're saying yes. I have diabetes. They took yes. they took you seriously, they checked your blood sugar. Yeah. You're moving along. But this, but the the lack of drugs is still a problem, or is, does the DKA is the DKA so bad it's overpowering the need for the drugs? I think yes, the DKA was so bad that it was overpowering um, the need um, at wow. that point. Um, well, and I don't believe at that point I was in like full withdrawal yet. I just knew that I was out of drugs and needed more. Gotcha. Um, but. I did tell them, you know, that I was on methadone. So they, you know, got in contact with the methadone um, clinic and um, within a couple days or the next day, I was able to get my methadone dose. So Mm -hmm. if I did go through any withdrawal, it wasn't for very long. And the number on the, um, when you tried to blow for, for drinking, that was ketones or what was do you ever figure out what the breathalyzer yeah, so the yeah the i did tell the doctor you know that that had happened and what they what he told me was my the sugar in my blood was so high that it was basically fermenting and turning acidic and yeah so it was ketones wow that's really crazy i have to applaud you for a second let's take a second um just to stop talking about all this for a minute the 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 ease in which you're telling this story 
is um it's really impressive and i don't i don't know why because you just said you're not really a very talkative person and we're obviously speaking about some things that you haven't really hammered through yet in your life but you were just mm-hmm. telling this story like you're like you're telling this story with the confidence and calm as if i said to you hey neva explain to us all how to paint a bedroom and you'd be like oh well first you cover the carpet with plastic and then you have to clean the walls and get paint brought you're just i'm really impressed with how you're telling this story like it's uh, well, it's really, you know, I've told it a few times, so I've, I've had practice. You mean like in group? Well, yeah, and like to family and just. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, that's not the point, though. The point is, is that it, that you don't have any self. Um, I don't know that you're not embarrassed by it, even, I think is kind of fantastic. You know, you're making me think yeah. about I'm I'm way older than you. Like, I'm probably double your age, basically. And I notice as I was coming out of high school, there were a few girls that I'm thinking of who were just headed in the wrong way, right? And mm-hmm. we get separated and we don't see each other anymore. It's, you know, some of them are, are just acquaintances, some of them are friends. You know, people go away, they start jobs, etc. And you don't understand this because you've been in a, a life where you can contact people easily with cell phones and, you know, online and things like that. But that didn't used to be a thing. And mm-hmm. When Facebook got popular and people like old people started using it to like, you know, set up their high school reunions and stuff like that, we all sort of like from our graduating class and older people are going to relate to this. We all just, you know, became Facebook friends. And it was interesting to see that every one of those girls that I can think of off the top of my head were addicts like I thought they were, but I wasn't sure. And every one of them has a full life now. It's very interesting. They all found their way through, which I guess is just lucky um, Mm -hmm. to some degree. But I wanted to tell you that just because I do think you could have kids and have a life and, and like the way you want to. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of this one girl in particular, she was just adorable when we were in high school and, and nice, but she just like she, like you described, like she was just was always looking for trouble. It felt like, and always with mm-hmm. guys that you were just like, oh, why him? Y- yeah. y- you know, and um, like if you were friends, you'd pull her aside and go, I feel like you could do better than this. And and but now I can picture in my head a fifty year old woman uh, who shares very openly about what she went through, and um, I don't know. It just feels you're much younger than you think you are. I guess is what I want to tell you. Yeah. There's a lot ahead of you. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? I've all yeah. And I've always kind of thought of myself as like an old soul, but also like my drug addiction has kind of left me at like a perpetual like seventeen for ten years, you know. So yeah. not exactly chasing a, a stable job and health insurance and uh yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. I hear you. Savings and all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having my own place. All that, yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, it both surprised me and didn't surprise me when you said my mom just came in. I was like, oh. Yeah, well, uh, and that's funny you bring that up because she's actually here visiting. Um, So she's staying with us here. So oh. she just happens to be here visiting. She's yeah. at your place. Okay, that did take, I was like 28. I'm like, honey, you got to pull it together a little bit. Like, you can't live <laughs> with your mom still. And by the way, everyone yeah. listening who's 28 or older lives with their parents. I'm not judging you. Just keep going. <laughs> let it happen. Just let it out. Um, you never know what's going on in their life. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, everybody needs help. 
you know, at, at, at one point or another. So how do you, usually I ask this question like 20 minutes in, but (laughs) <laughs> we'll do it now instead. How do you manage your type one diabetes? How's it going? And how the hell did you find this podcast? Um, I am using an Omnipod right now, and um, I've right now I'm just using a glucometer because I'm kind of lazy with changing my um, CGMs. <laughs> I've tried I've tried all the CGMs. Um, because of insurance and stuff, I couldn't afford the Dexcom. I did try it, right. was able to use it for a couple months, but it was too expensive. So then I went to the Libra, was using that for a while. And then my doctor, I was kind of having a lot of lows overnight and stuff. And so he um, he suggested the Medtronic CGM, the Guardian. Okay. Um, and so I started using that one and it, was way more accurate than the uh, Libra was, I noticed for me. Okay. But the process of having to put on the Guardian, there's like 8,000 steps to it. So I get, when it's time to change that out, I just get really lazy and don't um, you listen, change it out. Nina, you listen so much. As you said that, did you think, wow, Medtronic really does take a lot of hits on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I my like my doctor i kind of feel like he's in medtronic's pocket a little bit because even from the beginning he was like pushing the medtronic pump on me and stuff so but when i told him i wanted omnipod from listening to this podcast um he we went with that and so i found your podcast because after i got out of the hospital i was in the hospital for about 6 days and um i joined Facebook groups pretty much right away. And I think, no, that's not how I found it. I think I typed in diabetes on the podcast app Okay, and yours popped up and I started listening and basically got caught up um, pretty much in. (laughs) Well, I have to say, not that this is a, uh, this is a ham fisted place to say this, but when I tell people like leave good ratings and reviews because it helps in searches this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like the, <laughs> and I, I've recommended your podcast to a lot of people because it, I've learned so much more from your podcast and the Facebook groups just by people sharing their experiences right. than I ha- ever have from my doctors. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm really glad that it's helpful too. Seriously, I, I'm, it makes me happy. And, it really uh, is, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I think I can officially say now that I'm the official diabetes podcast of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints and oh, yeah. heroin addicts. That's yeah, how I'm going yeah. with this. Like, seriously, because I, I, I'm going to put that on the – if I had a sign outside of my building, I'd put that on the sign. I really would. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm really um, overwhelmed, honestly, as you're talking that – that in a story that was that long that seemed that it lacked in a number of places, people, you know, helping you that the first thing that really helped you was this, but I, I don't, I don't think it's a silly podcast, but it, you know, I am an older person to tell people I have a podcast is weird. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like when people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, you What's know, it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've been a stay at home dad for like 20 years and I have this pretty popular podcast. And they're like, Oh, do you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. It's really popular. And they're like, is it? I'm like, it, it is. I'm like, are you guys making fun of me? And like, what's it about? And I'm like, it's about type one diabetes. And they're like, oh, 
fine. <laughs> and just anyway, I have to have that conversation a lot in my life. In case you're wondering, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not like saying, "Oh yeah, I'm a manager over at the place." You know, uh, it's uh it's a little weird. But to hear that it helped you, like, so how do you do with your blood sugars? Um, like, where's your A1C right now? I'm supposed to go in in the beginning of November to get it checked again, but my last one was 6.0, which I was pretty happy with. I did not expect it to be that low, but I try to keep a pretty tight range. Um, just, you know, from what I've learned from you and other people and stuff that, you know, I, um, don't feel good when my blood sugars are high and it's not good for my health for them to be high. So just to try to do what I can to keep them low. And I don't like, I don't, limit myself like I don't say oh I can't eat that because I'm a diabetic because I don't want to create like a weird relationship with food you know like I don't want diabetes to like create an eating disorder or anything for me so I I just you do not need another problem (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) seriously no um uh what what I want to ask you oh um fear did you have any fear of insulin no. No. And that's another another thing. Like the irony doesn't um surpass me. I know that, you know, like I have to completely refocus my view of like needles, you know, like because before I associated needles, like I'm not using needle, like I'm not doing MDI, but I still use a regular needle to fill my pump and stuff. So I still have to use like needles are a part of pretty much my everyday life. Of course. Just as they were before when I was an addict. Yeah. So I had to really like, cause I, before I would associate needles with using. And so for a long time, they were a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in that detox that we were talking about earlier behind the counter, was a sharps um, container. And for whatever reason, that sharps container was like the biggest trigger for me. And so coming out of the hospital, I really had to refocus my um, head to like, I'm going to be using like sharps containers and needles and all this. It's just going to be a part of my life. I, It's either that or die. So just kind of, I just kind of dove head in and tried to make the best of it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing a really good job, actually. Do you feel like you're doing well right now? I do. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, cause I, I mean, every once in a while I'll have like a fluke where I'll eat something and don't know why, but I'm like 270 or 300, you know, and sure. Um, but I can count like on one hand, the amount of times I've been 300 since I've been diagnosed. So I feel like that's pretty good. Um, I think that's and, amazing. and just anything to try to keep me, um, from going into DK again, because that was pretty, pretty far up there with one of the worst feelings I've ever had. So it's kind of astonishing actually, like to hear all the things that your body has been through and then to still hear that DKA was, Terrible. Have you heard the episode um, with Jonathan about 
uh, it's a it's an episode about. Is that the bipolar, bipolar one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually just got done listening to that one, yeah. like, this morning. Um, and so that's as far up as I am. From there on is what I have to get caught up Wow, with. yeah. You made me think of him, because the way he described being in DK, I think he, I, I've said this already a couple of times, because it stuck with me, but he, he said, like, he felt like the devil was, like, ripping apart from the inside out. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah like, that, God damn. So, it does feel like that. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, to have withdrawal from something as as strong as an as an opiate like that and then you know heroin and and to still feel like dka is worse i think is should be telling to people what it's like yeah for sure and and what your body's going through while it's happening right more importantly yeah and i i especially like the like analogy that you've made um about the sugar molecule, you know, like when you look at like a sugar cube or a grain of sugar, it's all like sharp and stuff. And the sugar molecule is the same way. And so when that much sugar is going through your veins, it's literally like ripping apart your inside. So it literally feels like that because that's literally what's happening. Yeah. You're being scraped very slowly. And, um, I just, I, I, I said that that time, cause I don't think people understand when they're like, Oh, you know, I have a bleed in my eye, like what that, and it's from my diabetes, what they mean. And they're saying mm-hmm. that, but you know, a little vessel just gets worn out. And, you know, the worst part about it is some of those vessels, as they get worn out, your body tries to, Jenny explained at one time how it tries to patch it. And then that's how arteries close off. So when oh. you, when you later are like, oh, I, he had a heart attack from his diabetes. What, what actually happened was that the artery became narrower and narrower because it kept repairing itself and narrowing and that's the kind of stuff i don't think anybody tells you when they tell you you have diabetes so yeah it's really worth knowing so all right i won't keep you much longer as i have you 50 minutes already past the (laughs) amount of time i told you i'm sorry if i'm holding you up from something oh Um, no not nothing at all um what are steps forward for you? Like, what is like, I'm assuming you're a very day by day person with some bigger long range plans. Like, how do you, how do you stay in the right frame of mind and what are the steps you have to take to do it? And do you have any advice for people who might be going through what you are? Um, taking it day by day definitely is, um, a big part of it, but I, for me, um, some of my goals, you know, are to eventually move out with my boyfriend, you know, move out from living with my grandfather and, you know, buying a house together and starting a family, yeah. um, getting off methadone. Um, but the addiction piece is something that I will have to work on for the rest of my life. So I think in order to not get ahead of myself, I have to just work on doing what I can today to stop, like, to not use again, you know? And so for me, that's going to work, taking, you know, care of my debts and stuff um, so that I can eventually slowly build my credit score back up so that I can save up money and move out and then just kind of take it slowly, like baby steps, you know? And What what about on the physical side? Like what, what's the, like, how do you stop using methadone at some point? They slow, very slowly lean, wean you off. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a milligram a week. They'll, so like 
say you're at like 50 milligrams, your dose every day is 50 milligrams. And then you'll finally, it's up to you whenever you want to stop or start to come down. So when you finally say, okay, I think I'm at a good point in my life to start coming down. um, They'll say, okay, so we'll start weaning you off. You know, you'll talk to your counselor because they do make you go to monthly counseling sessions and um, they work with you, you know, about relapse prevention and stuff like that. And um, so they'll, when you say you're ready, they'll, you know, give their input, whether they agree or not or whatever. And then they'll start, then they'll say, okay, we'll bring you down to 40, 49 milligrams this week. And so for that week, you'll do 49 milligrams every day. And then the next week you'll go down to 48 milligrams. And so that's like how slowly you'll, so that your body will, it'll be slow enough to where your body doesn't feel those big jumps of not having so much in your body. I see the idea. Um, Once a month therapy, like if you were my kid, I'd be like, you got to go more often than that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have health insurance? I do. Yeah. And I, um, when I did, when I was starting with the methadone program, I did go once every two weeks. So I did go more often because I did feel I needed that. Um, and it's, they have helped me with, you know, finding um, other coping mechanisms, you know, more healthy coping mechanisms and mm-hmm. um, putting are- myself first was a big one, you know, like not in like a selfish addict way but like just caring for yourself you know like thinking that may i that's back to what i was saying at the beginning like like if you had that piece back when you were 17 i think you would have felt like this guy's weird this isn't okay you you know what i mean yeah and and you want to have that moving forward what are some of the coping mechanisms that they give you um kind of taking like so when you get a thought of using um a big one for me was they had me fill out this card so whenever and it has like eight different things on it about what to do when you get a thought of using and like one of them is like let the thought pass like don't dwell on it don't keep thinking about it like try to think about something else or mm-hmm. um say the serenity prayer and uh, call somebody um or, you know you could pick up like a I mean for me you know it wouldn't be very feasible but like a piece of candy or something to like kind of trigger that piece in your brain that's like oh you know like this was nice yeah yeah sugar (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you do I'm thinking of somebody specific and I can't obviously and I wouldn't say names but I do Mm -hmm. know somebody who was a um but taught did was a drug seeker like you, but they, they, you know, stuck with, um, emergency rooms to get, you know, uh, pharmacy level narcotics the whole time. And Mm -hmm. when they finally, when, you know, when the system finally caught up to this person and was like, look, we all know what you're doing. We're going to call the cops. If you ever come back here again, they went right to food after that. And it's just such a shame because this person that I'm thinking of went from an average size person to a person who's, um, just, you know, unhealthily and, and significantly overweight, but the eating really does. I mean, from, a, I'm an outsider and a layman, but it just seems like they just traded one addiction for the other one. Yeah. You know, 
Um, it's terrible. Like it, it just, it really, I'm so sorry for you that, that any of this happened. Um, but I'm really amazed at how well you're, you're getting through it because it's just, there were so many opportunities for you to not, to not get to this place. And you still did, you mm-hmm. know, it's really kind of cool. And that's one thing that I'm grateful for is that I never have overdosed and I don't know how I never have, but yeah. I haven't had to be Narcan or anything like that. Um, so I definitely have some kind of guardian angel looking over me and I'm extremely grateful for that. Do you ever laugh um, to yourself when you go to get more insulin from the pharmacy? Are you always like, are you ever like, Oh, I'm such a square now. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but it is kind of weird because like there was one time um, when I went to a pharmacy to get needles um, for using and I, because out in California, you could go to like a Walgreens, you know, pick up needles and they would sell you a bag without any questions or anything. And, um, so I walked into King Supers here in Colorado and I, um, wanted to buy a bag of syringes and they said, oh, well, um, do you, do you buy your insulin here? I said, no. And they're like, oh, well, we need you like, if, where do you buy your insulin or something like that? And I made up something and they're like, oh, well, you can have them call like I said, Walgreens or something like, Oh, you can have them call us and we can verify, you know, that you get your insulin from them and we'll give you the syringes. And mm-hmm. so it just, they outsmarted that you. sparked a yeah, memory. Yeah, in yeah, my, yeah. Yeah. You're like, damn it. I'm and so now, now I'm like, Oh yeah, I get my insulin from there. It's such a, it's such a, like, like I was saying earlier, like your whole life revolves around it because now you have the heroin, but you don't have the needles. And now that's, and, and everything about society is set up to block you from doing the heroin. And, and so you're just like, it must've just been like a scavenger hunt all day. Where yeah. You- and it's, it's exhausting. And that, you know, just your whole life kind of revolving around that is just yeah. extremely exhausting. Are you happy? Yes. Have you been, ha- were you happy in the past using, or, or is this a new thing for you? I was happy, but obviously not as happy as I could be, you know, like I, I've always had like for a long time had the feeling of wanting to stop. Like, you know, of course in the beginning I didn't want to stop, but then it got to a point where it was so bad to where I did, but I couldn't, no matter what I did, I just couldn't. So it was like two different pieces, you know, pulling me in two different directions. Like, yeah, yeah, I want to stop, but something doesn't want me to stop too. So yeah, that it was physical, like always a constant fight. The physical piece of the addiction, you can't overwhelm that just with, yeah. with you just wanting to, Hey, did you ever try to hurt yourself while you were using? No, no. Um, so it, it never got to the point where you're just like, I have to stop living. I can't keep doing this, which that- there were times when I thought it like, where like, I would think, Oh, I want, want this bag to be the one that'll, you know, overdose me. Like there were times when I did think that, Yeah. but I don't think I would ever, I don't think I didn't want to live that bad enough to where I would like try that, you know, um, you just said like, that. I still had happy moments in my life that yeah. were worth something. Gotcha. You just said you just said a bag, and I'm like, uh, there's a barrier for entry to be right there. I feel bad every time I throw a sandwich baggie away. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be like, oh, I can't keep doing this to the environment. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sure I wouldn't be thinking that if I got to that point. But uh, yeah, it really does. Like I, they're small, small bags. Oh well, then that makes me feel a little. Then I can try. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, if they're tiny bags, just the little snack size yeah. ones. You mean? Just no, like even smaller. Oh, even like, smaller than that. Oh, well then, yeah, no, I can do it. Like no quarter worry. size. <laughs> gotcha. I know nothing of what we're talking about. You yeah. know, you've listened. You listen. So you like. I don't drink. I've never. Mm-hmm. I, I have nothing against the idea of smoking weed. I've just never done it. Um, right. I, there's just no part of me that that doesn't. Yeah. Sound so how would you know? <laughs> I have no concept of any of this, which is why I'm so like incredibly interested about it. And um, I, I, I just I can't thank you enough for doing this. Like, it really was. I want to tell you it was brave, but you just seem kind of so blasé about it that I'm like, <laughs> maybe it wasn't well, that brave. I don't know. Thanks. There was a couple parts where it got a little emotional, heavy, but yeah, I, yeah. I think, yeah, it's good. Well, thanks I, for having me on. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. I have to tell you the one thing that I really worry about, like in everyone, first of all, I have to tell you the first time I was like, I'm going to do a drinking episode. I'm going to call it after dark. I didn't think all this was going to happen. Just so everyone knows, <laughs> like at this point yeah. now, I mean, well, well, it was a good thing. I think, you know, it's stuff that needs to be talked about. Oh, it's it's amazing. And I'm super happy I'm doing it. I'm just telling you, like, I am in a space I did not expect to be in. Um, <laughs> it just didn't. I didn't know where it would go. But where it's gone, I mean, to be serious, where it's gone is that we're telling people stories that do not get told around diabetes. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I came to the realization. Like, so I'll say this to you because this will... Uh, this will probably come out after the the ones we're talking about, but I'm starting to realize that every person that walks the earth, like every idea, like kind of person, religion, uh, race, you know, job, person that holds a certain job, in in every configuration that people can come in, some of those people have diabetes, and like I'm getting ready this week to interview a world-class cellist who has diabetes. And I realize if she didn't have type one, she wouldn't be coming on the show, but I don't feel like I'm interviewing a type one. I feel like I'm interviewing a cellist. Cellist, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I, I didn't feel like I was in like talking to a type one tonight. I feel like I'm talking to a person who has struggled with addiction and is getting through it and has a really great story. And you happen to have type one diabetes. Right. Everybody, like I said, there's there's countless configurations of human beings on the planet, and at least one of them has type one somewhere. So yeah. I think there are a lot of stories to share, and none of them are so, and none of them are as uncommon as you would think. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like when when the person that came on and talked about, you know being bipolar came on and the person who came on and talked about cutting. I was, I thought to myself, like, is anyone going to be interested in this? Like, that was my first thought. Like this doesn't happen to people like that frequently, but it does. It All does, of it yeah. does. You know, what's happening to you. Like you're not some random person this happened to. I don't know the statistics, but this is a huge issue. Yeah. You know, this happens to a lot of people and not, not all of them have, you know, stories that go as well as yours did. You ever think about that? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Just feel lucky, I guess. Yes, extremely. And I think a lot. You know, I've mentioned about my the support that I've had. I think that plays a big, big part in it. Because had I not had the support that I have, and um, 
you know, who knows where I would be, you know, I'd probably be on the streets somewhere dead, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, if anybody is going through the same thing, I think it starts there is having the support. Well, look at this 20, uh, in 2018 data showed, sorry, data. Now all those data people that bug me by email are in my head. Can I just say data? I'm from the Northeast. Leave me alone. 2018. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Well, data shows uh, that every day, 128 people in the United States die after overdosing on an opioid. That's a, that's a pretty big number. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a, to think that I have lived, I don't even know how many days that computes to the last 10 years. It made me wonder about overdosing at all. This <laughs> is yeah, a miracle. In that, in a decade of using, how many times did you use every day? Yes. Wow, that's insane. It really is. Yeah. I'm not judging you. It's just it's it's that it fries my mind. It really does. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, listen. I was going to do this after you got off, but we're going to say goodbye anyway. So hold on for a second. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration is a government agency. You can find it at samhsa.gov, or you can call them at 1-800-662-4357. And it translates to 1-800-662-HELP. The helpline is free, confidential, 24-7, 365 days a year. Treatment, referral, and information services comes in English and Spanish for individuals and families facing mental and or substance abuse disorders. So if you're if you're vibing with uh, what's being said here and you'd like to help yourself, I think that's probably a pretty great place to start. And I've learned that you can just type in methadone clinic near me into Google and it will give you one. So (laughs) try to help yourself if you can, Um, especially if you're having a moment of clarity right now and you're listening, like take advantage of that moment of clarity and run towards somebody that can help you. Right. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Is, is there, it does it matter really just somebody like tell somebody right yeah and don't hold like reservations like if people are telling you oh methadone doesn't mean you're clean or you know for the longest time my family kept saying like oh when are you going to get off that stuff when are you going to get off that stuff and had reservations against it um in the beginning and stuff and um then they finally realized how it was helping me so as long as it's helping you stop using then that's enough to help you get to where you need to be and be clean. You're saying anything that isn't those pills or heroin is better than that. Yep. Yeah. Well, that sounds hard to disagree with. Okay. (laughs) Eva, I really appreciate doing this. I believe this is going to officially be the longest podcast I've ever done. (laughs) And I kind of feel like we could both go pee and come back and keep going if we wanted to. (laughs) Uh, I have been thinking about that for a while. But I really want to pee, just so you know. And, um, (laughs) And I, I think uh, I think there's nothing left to say really at the moment other than I appreciate this. I wish you a ton of success. I, I hope you keep in touch. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're, I will. You're very welcome. I want to take this moment to thank Neva for her bravery and honesty and a moment to remember all the people who have come on and told tough stories in the, in the After Dark episodes. It just can't be easy. And it's incredibly helpful. I hear from so many of you behind the scenes who are helped by these very episodes. So for everyone who's willing to step up, everyone appreciates it, especially me. Thanks so much to Touched by Type 1, the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump, 
and the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. You can find out more about the Dexcom at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Get that free no obligation pod experience kit at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, touchbytype1.org or find them on Facebook or Instagram. Hey, you can follow this podcast on Instagram at Juicebox Podcast. You can find the blog at juiceboxpodcast.com. And on Facebook, we are Bold with Insulin. That's the public group. And Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes is the private group, which I think is up to 7,000 of you now in there all talking about management of insulin. It's very cool. Uh, One of the nicest places I've ever seen in Facebook. And that is no over-exaggeration.